Hey, y'all. Welcome to a very special episode of Gin and Juice that is very near and dear to our hearts, which is suicide prevention. We are actually in the month of September, which is National Suicide Prevention Awareness. The day that this episode drops, which is September 14th, is actually the National I'm sorry, World yeah. Suicide Prevention Day. Yeah, for the whole wide world. The whole world. Mm-hmm. And it, it literally fell on September 14th, which is Thursdays is when we podcast. That's right. So, wow. Like, God ordained that 100% because we are not that great of planners, <laughs> and that is just the work of the Lord. That is. Um, and so, in the week, this week, this whole week is actually National Suicide Prevention Week. That's right. So, um, which is exhibited where you know everybody wears the remembrance ribbon, mm-hmm. ribbons. Like we we wear this color to represent breast cancer is pink, um, and the the color that goes with suicide awareness prevention and loss is purple and turquoise. Mm-hmm. You'll see those colors. So uh, Jenny and I have been putting out social media about that, and you'll see us holding these ribbons, and that's what that that represents. Is that we're bringing awareness to this topic. We want want there to be prevention and then we want to give voice and hope to suicide loss survivors so that's what that ribbon means so and Jessica tell our listeners why this particular episode the air date is also so special to us well our dad's birthday falls this week our dad's birthday is September the 13th and dad would have been 63 this year and so that is incredibly significant to Jenny and myself and to our mother because we lost dad 18 years ago to suicide. And this week in September is always National uh, Suicide Awareness Prevention Week, Mm -hmm. always. And his birthday falls in that week every single year. Yeah. So it is very significant to us as we bring awareness, as we listen, as we go into the deep with people on the other side of, of suicide loss. It's mm-hmm. so, it's murky water, it's deep water, it's hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we encounter these people a lot. We encounter you mm-hmm. a lot. And your stories are precious to us. And we thank you for that. And we thank you for letting us share our story about our dad with you guys. Um, because he... I mean, he left an indelible mark on us girls mm-hmm. and he told us there wasn't anything we couldn't do. Yeah. That he was such a girl dad and which is so funny because he came from such a machismo background. <laughs> <laughs> right. Harley riding, I, leather wearing. I mean, cop, you know, <laughs> like, could he be more manly man in like the most stereotypical sense? Yeah. I, I mean, you know. But also he would have been very disappointed in one aspect because he just knew that one day he was going to have all these grandsons no. that he could like, you know, be butch and manly with. And it's like, well, he never met his granddaughters, but no. he would not have been disappointed. He would not have been disappointed. <laughs> he would have thrown those babies on the back yep. of the Harley. Yep, for sure. Oh, I know. I know. So this week is incredibly 
special duplicitous for us, yeah. you know, as we focus on suicide awareness and, um, and prevention. And then we reflect on how we have walked through all these years of our own suicide loss story. One of the things that is, is striking is some of the myths around suicide. Yeah. And we kind of started talking about that last week in our episode, because the whole month of September, we're going to take time out and do a whole series about suicide loss prevention and then um, an awareness. Mm -hmm. So you you can listen to this in any order. But if you go back last week, we really gave statistics about which ages um, are affected by suicide, more or less risk factors, what to look for, how, uh, how to assess the risk, how high, what to do when you recognize there is risk and you need to follow up with some action, what what's next. But um, we're going to spend some time this month kind of debunking some myths around suicide. But one of the things that Jenny and I were made aware of in this research that just shocked us to death. Okay, I'm going to edit that out. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, this is how it works sometimes, okay? You're just talking, and then you're eating your toes. Hey, I said it last time, and you didn't edit it out, so leave it. This stays. This stays, sister. Deal, deal. It stays. I'm just eating my foot right now. Foot in the mouth. I hope we made you laugh. Yeah. Uh, It just surprised us so much is what I meant. Very well said, sister. But uh, we had always been told suicide rates go up around the holidays, especially November, December. Mm -hmm. And what did research show us? Statistics showed us what, Jenny? That is inaccurate. It actually goes down. Mm -hmm. Suicide rates um, in the United States go down in December and November. The major holidays, yeah. The major holidays. And we are going to spend some time later this month talking about that with a mental health expert, Mm -hmm. because we have some theories around why might that be, but we want y'all to even think about that Mm -hmm. and percolate on that thought and and just ask yourself, why would that be? The average suicides are about 4,100 a month, Mm -hmm. 4,200 a month, and and they go down to like 3,800 in in November and December. Wasn't that the the Mm -hmm. numbers we were looking at? Mm -hmm. So it's a significant little dip, whereas the rest of the year holds pretty steady. And so I want y'all to start thinking about that. And and because again, we're awareness about this, what is changing in November and December? Um, And and we have these myths around it that that we need to get to the bottom of. So we're going to bring on an expert who's going to help us kind of take back the layers of some of those things. So definitely be stay tuned and, and be listening. For this episode, we wanted to bring you our personal story of suicide loss. And so I think we will begin with Jenny. Okay, so y'all know that I'm a major weepa. So I have decided for this episode that I might just spring into a different accent or voice as to practice dissociation from my grief. <laughs> Because I can't sound like Miss Piggy the whole episode. I can't go with my cry voice. So I'm kidding. I'm actually I'm not. I'm probably gonna do it. But um, no. But anyway, okay. So our story is about our dad. When I was 
24. It was June of 2005, and I was living in Houston, and I was in outside sales, and I was uh, selling medical equipment, and I got a call on a Wednesday early or mid-evening. Mm-hmm. I was cooking dinner, kind of cleaning up, and Jessica's like, hey, have you heard from dad? And I was like, well, not today. And normally I talk to dad very regularly. We would watch shows together over the phone. We li- we loved watching um SVU. And so we would talk about it and try to figure out the, uh, like who done it and mm-hmm. the case and all that kind of stuff. And so we would, we would have conversations all the time. He would just call randomly. He would pull over in his truck to call me because, well, I'm, I'm in my car, Jen, Jen, Jennifer, Jennifer. I mean, I had to pull over. Hang on. I'm like dad, it's a mobile phone. You can talk while you drive. He's like, no, it's not safe. Cop, Sorry, not legal. Mode. Yeah. Cop mode. It was legal back then. Yeah. Like to hold it up to your ear. Totally. So, um, I hadn't heard from dad probably in a couple of days. Um, it wasn't, I didn't talk to him every single day. So it wasn't anything that was on my radar. Um, but I got this call and Jess's voice wasn't super urgent, but it, there was a a hint to it that something Mm -hmm. was off. And so I was like, no, I haven't heard from him today. And she was like, okay, well, um, uh, from what I remember was you said that he didn't show up for work mm-hmm. and um, he like mom didn't hear from him. She hadn't heard from him. She tried to call him all these things and nobody could get a hold of him. Correct. So what was your take on that aspect of it when you called me? I had just worked that day and it was hot in West Texas. So we were in West Texas in the Permian Basin. Jenny lived in Houston. Um, Mom and dad lived here in the Permian Basin, um, you know, 10 miles from me. And I had worked all day. And I remember I had just gotten out of the shower. It was just hot in Odessa at the time, like a hundred and... 16. 16. Mm-hmm. It was ridiculous that summer. And we had like a crazy, crazy heat wave that week. It was like the hottest recorded summer in I don't know how many years. Yeah, like 100 years or <laughs> yeah. I don't know. since they started recording. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> like forever. Yeah. And, um, and I got out of the shower and my phone rings and it's mom and in classic Linda May. My caller ID says mom. I go, hey. And she goes, hi, it's mom. <laughs> Does anyone else's mom answer the phone that way every single time? We will get off the phone and she'll call me. I've got to call you right back. And she'll call me back. She'll go, hi, it's mom. I'm like, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so shocked. <laughs> it's you. Um, so she calls and she goes, hi, it's mom. And it, same thing was behind her voice. Like it wasn't a panic, but there was a tension. Mm-hmm. There was a something's not right. And I remember feeling that I even saying it right now. I remember standing there, my my hair was in a towel, my body was wrapped in a towel. And I remember standing there and just like kind of looking in the mirror, like this moment matters. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. It was just the weirdest thing. And, and she said, um, I don't want to worry you, but which automatically I'm worried. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm an Enneagram six. I'm worried all the time. <laughs> dare me not to worry. Dare me. I, she won't. I won't. I won't. I won't do it. Double dog dare me. No, I don't care. You're not the boss of me. Um, and she says, um, 
I'm like, okay, I'm not, okay, don't worry, liar. And she said, have you talked to your dad today? And I said, no, why? And she said, well, when I got home from work, he wasn't here. And I go, well, yeah, it's, well, whatever, it's Wednesday. And he working tonight? He works nights? He goes in to work by 5 p.m. and he works, you know, midnights, whatever. I'm like, yeah, he wasn't there. And she was like, well, the front door was unlocked. And I about hit the floor. Yeah, because y'all, Jerry Don w- oh. locked the door. And if we didn't, we oh. got it. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> Safety first, people. Amen. Yeah. And I'm like, the front door wasn't unlocked? I'm like, well, you know, like... What was his motor? His his truck was in the shop. Okay, mm-hmm. so his truck wasn't home because it was in the shop getting worked on. I'm like, well, his mode of transportation was his motorcycle. I'm like, well, where's his motorcycle? You know, and motorcycles in the garage. Okay, that's concerning. I said, well, did you call the police station? You know, do, are they aware? And she's like, yes, hun, babe, they're aware. And she was just weird, and I'm like, what? Just tell me. What are you not telling me? And she said, um. Two, two sergeants are here. I'm like, what do you mean two sergeants are there? And she's like, well, when he was late to work, they came here. And I'm like, why? Why did they come there? Like that, did he call in? Nope, they haven't heard from him. And I'm like, okay, what's going on? And I said, you know what? Have you talked to Jenny? You know, sometimes when dad just needs to like clear his head, he'll be like, hey, who knows? Maybe he jumped on... I don't know, something. <laughs> Isn't it crazy how your mind starts doing the yes. the crazy possibilities? Yes. Oh, yeah. That played out so much. In my mind, I remember thinking that, like, well, he must be on his way here. That's what I like, thought, to too. Like, to Houston, you yes. know, back in the day when you could only drive 65 or 70. Right. It was, it took nine hours. And I'm like, oh, well, maybe he's coming here. Yes. What? And I don't remember why that made sense at the time, now that we're talking about it, because, again, truck was in the shop, and how we thought that he was on his way to Houston. Right. And that we didn't... But but for whatever reason, that kind of added up, because even the police officers were like, you need to call your other daughter. Well, and okay, so to kind of back up, yeah, dad was a dry alcoholic for 16 years. Yes. And so he chose sobriety. Yes. Yeah. And then he started drinking when I was about 16. Yeah. And from there, it just went downhill fast. He was a true alcoholic with like, he was 100% chemically dependent. Absolutely. It was, it was uncanny. He would have, he had he, no drinks for 16 years. He had one drink. That was it. Mm-hmm. You know, and then one was too many and 99 wasn't enough. Yeah. And so it was not ever, there was never a level where he could drink socially or right. in any kind of moderation. It was drink until you are sick and passed out. And wake up and start again. Yeah, because you have to. Because you have to. Yeah. And he hid it for a while. Yeah. Like there was a a, a time it was veiled. Mm-hmm. So we knew he had started drinking. We didn't know it was that bad. Right. Right. Like we're like, oh, well, now dad's drinking. I guess we're older and, you know, it's not an issue anymore because mm-hmm. we were babies when he quit. We had no idea the context of his addiction. Right. And so we're just like, oh, well, yeah, he drinks every now and then. He'll have a beer or two. We didn't know he was going home and drinking a bottle Mm -hmm. of vodka and 
passing out on the floor. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's what we were experiencing in these years leading, uh, up. leading up to. Well, and so to, coming to Houston, mm-hmm. I had called him many times and said, come to a rehab center here because he was a police officer and he was always very afraid, really, that he would get fired yeah. because of his. Uh, like if he had to go to a, a clinic or to rehab, he he just knew that he was going to get fired because who wants to have some alcoholic, you know, mentally cop? ill, yeah. you know, because the stigma, especially then, not that it's all gone now, right. it sure isn't. But, oh, well, he had to go to rehab. Well, no, he went to the loony bin. These yeah. ignorant thought processes and stereotypes that accompanied that. Uh, he was so afraid of that stigma stigma and him not being allowed to pursue the thing he loved which mm-hmm. was law enforcement yeah so i told him all the time like dad take vacation come here stay at our house we'll take you to a, a rehab place you can stay at the rehab place like we will find some place that your insurance will pay for which back then wasn't very um expansive it was like you know you can go to one here and it's like the crappy ones and just not a lot of options at the time yeah. but there still were options yeah and so I was like, we will find some place for you here. You can even just come stay here right. and dry out. That's right. So I, that was always on the table. So in my mind, I'm like, well, heck, maybe he's on his maybe way there. He's on his way. So that's what I thought. So when I got off the, when I'm getting off the phone with mom, because mom's like, don't call Jenny, which no, don't ever say that. No, I'm calling my sister because <laughs> if shoes on the other foot, she doesn't call me. I will hurt her. Oh like yeah. This, that's the no. gloves are off. I'm like, no, I'm calling Jenny. Well, don't alarm her. I won't alarm her, but this is alarming mom. Something's wrong here. We all need to be on high alert because if I don't call Jenny and dad does call her and she's just like, oh, I'm you know busy. I'll call him later. No, 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 no. We need to find out where he is. And mom's like, okay, yeah, you're right. Call your sister. So she's got the police at, at the house searching mom does mom does and so i call jenny Mm -hmm. and we have that conversation Mm -hmm. and from there we get off the phone jenny what happened in your following hours do you remember what that was like for you i remember it was weird that like i tried to call a cell phone Mm-hmm. And it, it just rang and rang and rang. And I think at one point, even maybe mom picked up. Sure. Because it was still at the house. Yeah. And so then she was like, hi, babe. You know, and then she was like, I got to talk to these people. I'll call you back. And so it was very, I was out of the loop yeah. on pretty much everything. And yeah. I knew like there was a lot going on. People were probably asking questions. People were out looking for dad. And um, I just remember thinking like, okay, um, the... Like he, he doesn't necessarily go to bars Mm -mm. and drink. He would go to bars every once in a while, but very rarely, rarely. And, um, he drank at home. And so I was like, they don't need to be looking at the, you know, Mm -hmm. sure. Go look, go, Mm -hmm. go find these dives. Maybe Mm -hmm. he is with somebody who Mm -hmm. knows. And so they were lit, but I just kept thinking "Mm, Mm -hmm. they're looking in the wrong place. And so all night I was again in outside sales. So I was trying to get my schedule cleared for the next day because I just knew I was going to be on my way home. Kind of like avoidance too, like, "Mm, no, you know, he's going to come home and it'll be fine. But I, so I was very, I went to business mode Yeah. and I immediately started calling my clients and started rearranging schedules and pushing things back, called my boss and was like, Hey, I might be leaving town in the morning. I don't know that kind of thing. So I was 100% business mode making logistics. Yes. So, but like I was in a fog, but a very productive fog, Yes, you know, but non-emotional. Oh, 
detached from emotion because you you couldn't hundred percent you couldn't no yeah. like my mind couldn't go I was like well maybe he's on a plane maybe that's yes. why we can't get a hold of him yes. and he's gonna call me as soon as he lands and I'll go to the airport and get him that's that's also what I was thinking and for some reason maybe he was borrowing someone's vehicle or something I can't remember at the the what was going on with the vehicle but I kept thinking he's driving mm-hmm. and he's in the Ozona area yeah and there's no phone service in that area there was no phone service no gosh. I mean, up until a mile, like hundreds of miles. It was ridiculous. So that's what we were kind of all kind of hoping. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, he had to get out of town, clear his head, because what comes to light is that he had been on a binger. Mm -hmm. And so then mom tells us like, well, he's really been drinking like heavy, heavy in the last couple of weeks. Um, Some incidences there that, you know, we're not going to share all those details, but incidences, Mm -hmm. right? That we're going, okay, again, narrative is changing. Mm -hmm. Narrative is changing because we are seeing this increase in reckless behavior. Mm -hmm. And so I called Brad before I called Jenny and I just said, and we had only been married seven weeks and he was working till like nine that night. And I said, this isn't going to end well. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, I know it's not going to end well. And I just, I, that was the one time at the very beginning, like I cracked and just sobbed, like, cause I just knew. And then I called Jenny, then I called mom back and I'm leaving out the door to drive out where my, my parents lived out kind of the stretch of highway you kind of went out and then there was this like old neighborhood all the houses that were built in the 80s where Jenny and I grew up in mm-hmm. that little little house once we moved out the trailer yeah <laughs> moved into a little house and spent the next 20 years turning it into a trailer <laughs> th- throwing some tires on the roof and everything yep. um and mom said okay honey um don't be alarmed but there's like a lot of police presence here. Like, what time of night was this? Because so, I can't remember. Like, time mm-hmm. is like does not exist when it, things like that happen. So, what time of night was that? Weirdly, I'm a, I'm a timestamp. Mm-hmm. I'm a date person, and when all that's happening, I, I know this is odd, but this is how my brain works. You guys, I am I timestamp things. Mm-hmm. So when Mom called me, it was six forty p.m. Okay. By the time I'm, wa- I've called you. I've called Brad. I'm throwing myself together. I'm walking out the door. It's 7 p.m. So officially, we know he's been missing for two hours. Okay, because he was supposed to be at work at 5 p.m. Mom got home at 5:30. The police sergeants showed up at about 5:45. Wow. And then mom calls me at like 6:40. Mm-hmm. And I'm walking out the door at seven, and she said, "There's." Tons of police here. All his friends, all the sheriffs, like everybody's coming to start looking. She said, honey, when you come out here, um, I don't want you to be alarmed, but there's helicopters. And I was like, what do you mean helicopters? And she's like, they're searching for him. My parents lived in this area where there was all this like old mesquite ranch land all around them uh, for miles and miles, acres and acres. And um, and actually my dad, um, had formed a, a running path out there mm-hmm. and he ran and several people in our neighborhood ran in along that path. And then kids would go out there and be little hoodlums and set little, <laughs> little grass fires and smoke pot and do all the things they did. Um, we can ask Jeremy about yeah. that later. <laughs> he was part of that Lawndale posse. And
And she said that they're searching for him with helicopters in that whole area because the mesquite, you can't, you can't walk through it. Yeah. It's, it's going, pretty dense. It's mm-hmm. dense. going to cut you up. And so, and I'm going, they're searching for him with helicopters. And she's like, yeah, they, they brought in helicopters. I'm like, he's been gone two hours. Mm-hmm. And she's like, yeah. And I'm, and that I remember being like, <gasps> And that's when you called me and said, they've got helicopters out with right. infrared. And I was, and I, that was when I broke and I thought, I said, they need cadaver dogs. Yes. I remember distinctly saying, they're not going to find them alive. And then I remember driving out there and it's real still where we lived had been in kind of a bust for a lot of years. We live in an oil boom bust town. Mm-hmm. And where we live right now, same place, has been booming for 10 years plus. Then it wasn't. Our population was not huge. It's much larger now. And so you could drive at 7 or 8 p.m. and the streets were relatively easy breezy quiet mm-hmm. in 2005. And it was that quiet still and then the heat and driving out there and I see the helicopter. And I remember being like, (gasps) and just feeling like I could not breathe Mm -hmm. and pulling up to the house and walking in and there's cops everywhere. They're in the attic. They're in the backyard. They're in the bedrooms. They're in everywhere. The shops out back. The shops everywhere. out back. We had like a little storage building out in the backyard. Everywhere. And the real unsettling part was their dad had placed his wallet and his wedding ring on the dining table. And I remember walking over and staring at that and being like, oh my gosh, like that, that's the story right there. Mm -hmm. There it is. And, and everybody was quiet and nobody wanted to look at me in the eye. Yeah. And I knew I was like, oh yeah, this is very bad. Mm -hmm. This is, and I, I remember calling you and I remember us both saying this isn't going to end well. Mm -hmm. And I was like, finish up your business there and get here. Mm -hmm. Just get here. What do you remember? So the next morning, because it kind of was like ended with that, with they couldn't find him. They were going to continue the search. And this went on till two in the morning. Yeah. We had police there until two in the morning. And they did not, they did not want us to stay at mom's house. Mm-hmm. They were like, no, because what if he comes home and he's drunk? And again, we were like, he does not go out to bars and get drunk and come home. Mm-hmm. He drinks at home. Um, we know his pattern. We know mm-hmm. his pattern. And the couple of places he had ever been, they had friends. They cleared. They mm-hmm. cleared. He wasn't there. Right. And so I was like, uh, if he comes here, I promise I won't let him in the house. Well, we're going to kick his A word anyway. So <laughs> <That's right. laughs> he will be afraid of me. Trust me. And um, 
And I think the police were like, yeah, she's probably right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, like for his protection, he shouldn't come home. Well, that's what mom said. She goes, I'm not sure they're trying to protect us. <laughs> they might be trying to protect him, Jessica. You look scary. <laughs> like, dang right. Uh, yeah. And so I was like, no, I'm not leaving. Mm-hmm. And mom would not leave. Mom would not leave. Brad tried to get us, let y'all come to our house. And mom wouldn't leave. So I wasn't going to leave. And I remember going, mom sat in the recliner and slept in the recliner in the living room and I slept on the sofa. And we, I remember thinking we have to, I can't fall asleep, but I have to fall asleep Mm -hmm. because tomorrow is going to be a booger. You know, it's going to be hard. And at 2 a.m. they left. I think we were up probably another hour till 3 a.m. And I remember going to bed about 3 a.m. And the police were knocking on our door at 7 a.m. Mm. And it was full-blown investigation at that point. Yeah. Like, unreal. Mm-hmm. And they didn't really want us talking to people, which yeah. felt weird. Yeah. You know? And so th- so that's where there I was. So you wake up Thursday morning, and what's your world like? My world is do my like go see my last patient my my first patient that I like limited got everybody taken care of the night before so I go see this patient and I'm like I've got to get out of town here's your device figure it out bye right. and so get get back to the house load up the truck and we head to Odessa and the stretch from like I said from Houston to Odessa was over 9 hours yeah. at the time and it took us what 7 yeah, uh, six, uh, like six, because when they call, because speed limits have changed back yeah. then. There were stretches of the road that were 55 miles an hour oh, for yeah. hundreds of miles. So if you're not from Texas or not familiar, yeah, you, she drove nine hours and you're still in the same stinking state. Oh, yeah. So that's how far <laughs> we were from each other. Um, and they were bringing dogs like yeah. we had to and we knew they were coming and we just knew it was going to be for the long hawks. We kept talking and it was like, oh, yeah, I was like, Jessica, what do I bring for a funeral pants? <sighs> I remember calling her yes. Thursday and saying, hey, what should I wear to a, fu- like, what kind of funeral attire? And Jessica was like, well, you might want to bring pants, and it's going to be hot. I mean, it was just like business mode. Let's not talk about it. Let's not emote. Tell me what I need to know. And I got to get this done. I got to, you know, so I was like, oh, I got to take these pants because they'll be fine with he- with high heels or boots or that's my mind. It was right. very much get her done. Yes. And so we packed bags and packed the dogs up and we did pack for a week. Yes. I remember thinking we we're going to be there at least a week. So they knew they needed their vehicles. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like, let's just catch a flight and come like, no, we need to just get on the road and go. Yeah. Because we didn't know when they were going to be going home. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and there was also that one little bit of us that was like, if we do find him, he's going to rehab. Yeah. That that's going to be its own thing. Mm-hmm. He might need to ride back to Houston with y'all to rehab. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, so tied down. <laughs> not that we really believed that. Yeah. But you still, we, we were holding hope. on uh-huh. to hope because we didn't know. We yeah. just didn't know. There was no notes. There was no, you know. And that was another thing that was. I kept going. Well, why wouldn't he leave a note? And then reading and researching later, ninety six percent of people who um, die by suicide do not leave a note. Yeah, movies lie. Movies lie. TV lies. That is not the norm. You're talking about 4%. So we're talking 40, how many? 49,000, 45,000 people died by suicide in the United States. Only 4% of them left a note. We'll let you do the math. Right. (laughs) We can't do everything for y'all. You guys, geez. We're bad at math. We are. (laughs) So... 
So we hopped in the truck with our dogs and we headed to Odessa, got here in about six hours, seven, almost seven. And so service for the last two hours is non-existent yep. on that stretch of the road back then. To this day, it's not I great. Know, it's spotty <laughs> at the very best. I mean, we can put a man on the freaking moon and we can, we'll drop calls for two hours. Are you kidding me? I know. I that know. is things that make you go home right there. That is. That really is. Uh, come on, Elon Musk. Yeah. Do better. <laughs> I don't know what he's responsible for, but I feel like we can blame him. The downfall of mankind. (laughs) I don't know. So anyway, we're, um, we are in the dead zone of our cell service. And all of a sudden we get my phone just starts going bing, 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 like crazy. And I'm starting to get all these text messages and voicemails. And in the meantime, on the other end of that, we're all at my mom and dad's house. And we all get the news. And there's, I'm talking probably a hundred people at my parents' 1300 square foot house. People lined up for blocks, police everywhere, <laughs> everybody in blue. Uh, there were marshals, there were Texas Rangers, DPS. Air marshals. Air marshals, police officers, sheriff's department. My dad had worked with lots of different agencies, and they were all there. News trucks were coming by. And the house, I mean, it's 110 or something outside. It's so hot. They bring in cadaver dogs. These are dogs that will sniff his clothing so they're asking us to go in and gather these pieces of clothing, these items that smell like him, and and bring them out with the dogs, smell them, so they can take them into the mesquite fields. Because by then, I'm like, if he intended to kill himself, he would have run out in that field where he always ran, and that's where he is. Mm-hmm. And finally, somebody listened to me because yeah, I kept, we kept saying, saying it. Oh, like. No, he's got to be out where he runs, behind the school. Behind he's got to be behind the mm-hmm. school. He's got to be. There was an elementary school down the road from us, and there was just tons of mesquite field behind there, and we just kept saying, he's there. Mm-hmm. He's That's where he is. And at this point, we had scoured the house and accounted for all the guns. And then... Sometimes mom and dad slept in different rooms because they dad worked night shift. And sometimes um, mom would be waking up, dad would be going to bed. And, and so, mom was still going to, to night school, too. That's right. She was. So her, both their schedules are very wonky. Wonky. So there were times that he would sleep up in the front bedroom. And um, and it had kind of a, it was like an old 1980s, like, waterbed frame, you know, that had, like, the built-in, like, uh cabinet yeah. behind the headboard or was the headboard mm-hmm. and dad of course he's a police officer so he always slept with a firearm right there if he needed to grab it and he would always keep it kind of covered in like a towel that was just that what he did and I remember walking by the bedroom and mom was standing in that bedroom and her face was um, I don't even know I don't even know how to say it like she she just 
knew. She just knew. And I said, what? What? And she put her hands down real quick. And I said, what are you holding? And she brought up her hand and she was holding the towel and she opened it and it was the magazine clip. And about that time, one of my dad's friends, who was a police officer and he was in uniform, he was standing over my shoulder and he said, what? And I said, oh my God, we didn't count that gun. I think, I think there was a gun in here. The gun's gone. It's a magazine clip. And he took those bullets out and there was one missing. So the gun was missing and one bullet. And we, we, I mean, we knew. And that's when they called for the cadaver dogs. And the poor little dogs couldn't even handle much more than about 10 minutes out in the heat. It was so hard and so hot. And the poor police officers, everybody come in to help and look and search. And it was just so hot. And the mesquite was so dense and thick. And so we finally, the police got a hold of the person who owned the ranch land and he had a ranch hand who said, I'll get up on horseback and go and walk through the, you know, horseback ride through the fields. Cause I can be up over some of the mesquite and mm-hmm. he knew the paths yeah. and where it, the land, yeah. he knew the land. And, um, and so he's out there doing that. I don't even think I knew that at the time. No, and there was so much information going in. Yeah. It was like a, just tornadic, mm-hmm. you know, levels of information. And we're in the eye of the tornado and everything's spinning about us. Oh, man. And then eventually we we fill a piece of land and go, oh, here's some information. Oh, here's some information. And then you're like, whoa. Yes. Like we're category five hurricane EF5. Yes. We're full five. We're full five. <laughs> All the fives. All the fives. And so I step outside to the front yard and there's tons of people showing up, friends, you know, family, just everyone. And so I'm hugging and we don't know anything. We're doing, you know, here's the dogs and the dogs are sitting under the tree with the the special, you know, police officers that handle the handlers and, you know, and and we're walking around who needs water and there's just people, we're just trying to take care of people. And there's news trucks driving by. And they're slowing down and they're taking footage of us. And I about lose it. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like, I don't want this on the news. Well, it's already on the news. Like his missing picture, police officer, J.D. Johnson, all this is on the news. It's everywhere. Police are driving. I mean, the, the news trucks driving by this one particular and I'm like, I don't want to be on the news. And here they are. Here that comes the little reporter. They're doing their job, okay? But still, it was so invasive. And here they come. And I'm like, I, I can't. I don't want to be on the news. I don't. And somebody grabs me by the arm. I think it was Brad. I don't even remember. And says, get in the house right now. Right now. And that's all I remember. And I remember like running in the house, like turning around and like, cause I was on the, the sidewalk and I'm just jogging toward the, the front door. Like, okay, okay. I'm getting in the house. I'm getting out of the way of the news. So they don't get my picture or video or anything. And I walk in and, and then I realized that's not why they, they ushered me into the house. It wasn't because of the news. And, 
and my mom is standing there with the lead detective on this case. And and I'm like, what, what? And mom's, mom just stares at me with the same face as when she was holding that, you know, those, towel. that towel. And I'm like, what? And everybody's quiet. I mean, it has been so loud. It's been so loud in the whole house, outside. Everything's loud. Voices, it's so loud. Loud, 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 loud. Police radios, everything. Loud, loud. Sirens, loud. And it's like a vacuum, like, Oof. And I'm like, what? And mom says, they found your dad. And I said, did they find him or did they find his body? And she's like, they found his body. And everybody left. And it was me and mom and Brad, maybe Lulu, just the few of our closest, closest knit people in the room. And even some of them stepped out to give us that moment. And I just remember falling to the floor, like literally fell down on the floor and closed my eyes like I was two years old. And I screamed, I'm not going to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. That's all I kept saying. I'm not going to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And mom just sat on the floor and just cradled me like I was a baby. And and so I remember just people hugging us and everybody was crying. And everybody who loved him and all the police officers and everybody's crying. And my next thought was, I don't want Jenny to find out while she's driving. And it was like, just before five o'clock. And I was like, they're going to put this on the five o'clock news. Everybody's going to know. It's going to be Texas news for sure. (laughs) And in 2005, it was. And I just didn't want you to find out like that. So immediately, I was like, everybody in that inner circle, I'm like, call Jenny. We got to call Jenny. We want her to hear it from us. We don't want her to hear it second, third hand. Like, we're going to tell her. And so everybody's trying to call you. And of course, it's going straight to voicemail because you're in this dead zone of, of, of the drive where it's just dropped calls and no no phone service. And and everybody's trying to call and everybody's trying to call and we're leaving messages. Hey, Jenny, it's us. Give us a call immediately when you can. You need to call us as soon as you can. Call us. And, you know, we're doing that controlled calm as though you don't know what that means. You know, <laughs> of course you do. Because you're you're stupid in this scenario. <laughs> no, we are. We're going to be so calm. Like, hey, girl, give yeah. me a call. What you doing? What's up? Yeah. Jenny's like, who's dead? You know? <laughs> That's my first question every time my phone rings and it's a weird time. I'm like, great, who died? Who died? <laughs> That's what this will do to you, y'all. That's uh, what it'll do. Yeah. And so, and I'm and I'm literally like, everybody's like circling around. Cause I'm been in the, I've been in the most contact with Jenny because mm-hmm. um, mom's been busy. I mean, not that you haven't talked to mom, but I 
I'm in the room with mom, I'm not talking to I mom. I hadn't talked to mom. Yeah, like you couldn't. Mm-mm. She was, oh, she was just doing whatever they, you know, we were just, we, I can't even describe what those days, what that moment by moment was like. And you're answering every phone call and you're just talking to every person in front of you. The police are interviewing her, trying to dig out any details as to where he is. She did not have a second mm-hmm. to herself. And so I'm, I'm going, we've got to get a hold of Jenny, you know? And then the last time I talked to Jenny, they were in just coming into ozone or out of Ozona and they're pulling into whatever McKamey mm-hmm. or whatever. I'm like, they're, you know, they're an hour and a half, two hours away. Like they're no way that, you know, they'll be here at seven, seven thirty, whatever. And then your phone starts ringing. Mm-hmm. We were in Crane, okay. and it was like, bing, 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 bing. Like, I couldn't even listen to the voicemails because my phone kept dinging so much. And finally, I listened to the first one, and it was... A guy I hadn't heard from in a long time, a friend of my first husband's. And he said, just the sound of his voice, he just... He said, God, I'm so sorry. And that's how I found out because he had heard it on the news. And so from that moment, I, I think Jessica had just called. No, Brad called. It was Brad. Oh, bless Brad. <laughs> and he goes, hold on. Let me get your sister. <laughs> and I was like, oh, sure. <laughs> okay. Meanwhile... I'm on the back patio at this point. The party has moved to mom and dad's back party patio. Party on the patio. Uh-huh. So we've known for maybe 15, 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. I called you because I was like. You called. Yeah, I listened to that one voicemail and then I called Jessica immediately. And Brad's like, hey, <laughs> hey, hang on. I'm going to get your sister. Because <laughs> I had told him if she calls, like I didn't even know where my phone was, oh, yeah. you know. Brad's holding everybody's phone, everybody's purse, everybody's uh-huh. everything, uh-huh. you know. And I told him, like, if she calls, you find me immediately. Don't you tell her a thing. And he's like, okay, okay, okay. And so he comes out to the back patio. Well, I'm on the back patio with Jenny's childhood best friend. (laughs) (laughs) A pile of mush. (laughs) Oh, bless. Oh, bless the people who grieve with you. For real, though. And... Y'all, you have to find joy where you can. Because this crap is rough. <laughs> so I'm out there, and her friend is not dramatic at all. Are you B? Pearls to bed. Uh huh. <laughs> and it's hot. It's hotter than a mofo, y'all. And we're sitting out. She's sitting in a in a chair, not because she's being a princess, but because she can no longer stand. Yeah. Legs don't work. Legs don't work because grief has overtaken her. We're just standing around talking about, oh my gosh, you know, yes, they found him. He was out in the mesquite, exactly where we thought he would be. The running trail. The ranch hand is the one who found him up on horseback. Um, you know, it was it was that scenario. One, he took the gun with one bullet and he ended his life. And that's all we knew at the time. And so we're all just standing there kind of repeating that and going, oh my gosh, I just can't believe this. Can't believe this. 
and Jenny's little childhood best friend is sitting on a folding chair crying no she was weeping (laughs) she was weeping there was gnashing of teeth Mm -hmm. and on it in a chair that's upright she is laid down on her back (laughs) okay like where you should be sitting with your butt she's laying on that like that's where her back is Somehow, somehow, and like her legs are sprawled out in front of her, and she has a a fist raised in the air with like a fist, and her arm is, and she's screaming, Jenny! <laughs> because she was just so broken for her friend. And that's when Jenny called. As I'm like, somebody should really get the EMT to check Brenna out. <laughs> I think Brenna needs an IV resuscitation. <laughs> um, and this is when Brad brings me the phone and he blesses. I could see the buzzing in his body language. Like I knew he was handing me the phone and his hand is like trembling. And he's like, it's Jenny. And I'm like, I know, like I knew. What do you remember from that point? Because I don't re- really remember what I said. You said they found his body. And from that moment, I dropped the phone and somehow through my seatbelt, I ended up on the floorboard. Yes. And then I blinked my eyes and we were pulling up to the house. And when, when you dropped the phone, it scared me. I didn't know if you were, I, I don't, I didn't know if you were driving. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it just scared me. And I was like, oh, are you there? Are you there? And, and your your husband at the time picked up the phone. He grabbed it somehow and was like, what, what? And he was talking to you, really. And just into the phone, he says, we're in Crane. We'll be there in a minute. We're in Crane. We'll be there in a minute. Mm-hmm. And he hangs up. And I'm like, and again, Crane, I'm like, they're 45 minutes mm-hmm. from here. You know, again, speed limit was 55 or Mm -hmm. 50 or I don't even know what and so we're standing there on the back patio and mom and and I've got you know mom's there and like I told you know I told Jenny and mom's so it's fresh waves constant so it's that again and again and again and we're crying and we're crying and and then we're in the living room and this is I'm not kidding 15 minutes later And there's this huge commotion, like in the front of the house, like out in the front yard. And I'm like, oh gosh, what's happening now? And so we're started to go out there and somebody runs in the front door and says, Jenny's here. And I go, Jenny who? (laughs) (laughs) I swear. And mom looks at me and Brad looks at me. Your sister. I'm like, no, she's like 45 minutes uh, from here. Yeah. And they're like, well, she's on the front lawn and she has collapsed. Hmm. And so we run outside and her her spouse <laughs> literally like pulled up like on the curb. On the curb. And when Jenny came out of the vehicle, the legs didn't work. Her legs did not work. And she was literally on the ground and there was just like this swarm of people around her I just remember all the police officers that were still left just 
turn their backs. Yeah. And not even in a probably like, oh gosh, I can't see this again thing, but also just in this let him have moment. Let him let her have her moment. Yes. And I did not want to go inside because that was going to make it real. And I did not want to see mom's face because that was going to make it real. So I just laid in the stickers. <laughs> she sure did. <laughs> I just plopped right in the stickers. She did. And somehow we got inside and the police officers that were inside at the time, three of them gave me hugs, not, didn't say a word, and went outside. And then it was just us. weird lady at the table who kept who was like was like who is that why is she here <laughs> and mom was like oh i don't even know who it was somebody she'd known from a while back i'm like she's not doing anything why is she here <laughs> mom's like be nice i'm like i don't have to that's right my dad died i'm playing the dad dead dad card we uh your cooth goes out the window when you're grieving that raw just so you know <laughs> yeah and if you're the person in the room who is not serving a purpose leave <laughs> no and if you're not in the inner inner circle if you want to serve go scrub a toilet yeah to wash the dishes go pull the stickers in the front y'all yeah but just just <laughs> give space give space yeah. yeah so from there it was people coming and going and repeating the story over and over and over and by that time you find you're on autopilot and isn't it crazy Jess how like certain people come in and you can tell the story to like you know, like you're reading it out of a newspaper or reading it off of the, the headlines or just discussing it. And then other people come in and you freaking lose it again and yes. again and again. Yes. It is just, and it doesn't mean that one person means more to you than another. There's just something about it. When you're telling somebody the story, it hits differently in your own heart. I found that to be so true. And especially with the people who I knew they had gone through severe pain in their life oh gosh yeah I remember one woman who was very special to me and she had not experienced loss a traumatic loss through death but she had experienced traumatic loss through divorce Mm -hmm. and it was rough and when she came quietly privately and saw me that was so it was one of those moments where I just unraveled And I think it's because like, you know, scripture talks about the deep calls to deep. And we we talk about this all the time Mm -hmm. in our daily lives. But some of that is the deep pain knows deep pain. Mm -hmm. Deep sorrow knows deep sorrow. Deep grief knows deep grief, you know, deep love, deep love, whatever. And, And it's like, she's looking at us going, like, I know the work ahead of you Mm -hmm. to get up every day and to keep going. And we're looking at her going, oh my gosh, you did it. Maybe I can do it too. Yeah. Or how did you do it? Because I don't think I can. Those were the people that I would have that huge visceral reaction or response with and to. But other than that, it was autopilot and still can be. Oh yeah. Still can be. But I think what you said a couple of minutes ago was you said, and then it was just us. Mm-hmm. And there was so much truth to that, that the days after were a busy, oh man. We ha- So, okay. Fun fact. It was the Thursday before Father's Day. Yeah. 
So that Sunday was brutal. We did not even go to church. We had to put a note on the door to ask people just to give us some space in the day just to truly grieve because up until then we had received people over and over and they were so sweet and so kind and we actually hated to put the note up because we knew people were just trying to be supportive and there for us but for that day we just knew like none of us were going to be okay no and the one of the sweetest gifts in that too was our closest people who loved us the most and they they were the ones that gave us permission to Mm -hmm. do that they were like put a note on the door yeah and don't receive people today yeah and we did that and that was so good. I don't think we spoke a word that day. No. I think we all just sat. Yeah. I, it was a very silent day. It was. It was a very quiet day. Yeah. Yeah. And Brad went to church that Sunday. Bless his heart. I'm sure he needed somebody to hug him and love on him. And he had never been baptized. And back then, people didn't do spontaneous baptisms um, like churches do now. Uh, which, spoiler, they always have planted baptisms. <laughs> <laughs> Where does that water come from that is perfectly warm? <laughs> In a blow-up tub. <laughs> I don't think a lot of churches do spontaneous baptisms anymore. I think no. they actually just have a baptism Sunday. But yeah. we used to say, oh, it's spontaneous baptism. But we always had like at least like 15 people that were really yeah. on the docket just mm-hmm. in case nobody came forward to get baptized. Yeah. Like, hey, you need to recommit? Come on, yeah, sign up. Right. We had some deacons, some staff members, some staff pastors getting rebaptized. That Sunday, uh, our pastor gave a, a message and talked about baptism, and Brad went forward. He got baptized that Sunday, I like don't remember spontaneously. That at all. Yes, and actually, I don't even know if that was if he was the only one. Like, if they baptized him just because he came forward, I don't, I don't know. I don't. Hmm. But he was baptized that Sunday, unplanned. Wow. Yeah. And so that was very, very significant. I was like, yeah, they should have baptized him in some fire because he was <laughs> baptized in the flame of, welcome to newlywedhood. Here's some suicide. Oh, my gosh. Oh, poor and Brad. Johnson girls. Oh, here's Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my oh. goodness. Mm. So in the days following that, it was... I mean, you know, like funerals, we didn't plan dad's funeral. We didn't have that talk with him. He was 44. 40, y'all. He was, I am 44. Yeah. He was 44 years old. Yep. And just like, you know, you didn't think about it back then. Now, like Jeremy and I are like, okay, we need to plan this, this, and this. You need a will in place and all these things because 44 is young and you never think that you're going to need that funeral plan. Right. Well, even if you have a plan, sometimes you have to, you know, do a 180. But um, because of the the condition of dad's body, we had to have him cremated. Mm -hmm. And so um, the funeral home was gracious enough to let us come pick out a casket (laughs) so that we could have, they they just suggested that a lot of times uh, with the cremation, a lot of people have a stigma attached to that. Again, 2005, 2005. And so it wasn't a common practice in um, our religion mm-hmm. in this in the South. It's really not practiced a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And so, and we were like, we didn't like it either. No, it, it felt like it was a forced thing. We never got to see Dad's body. Mm-mm. So for me, that was my biggest regret in life. Yeah. Um, but we never got to see his body. And so they were like, 
you probably need to have a casket at the front that's closed, obviously. And just so people can have something to reflect on. Right. It's a closure kind of a thing. You're going to have a huge picture of him on an easel and pictures everywhere, but have the casket as symbolic, right? But it's closed. And so y'all can come basically rent a casket from us. Uh That's a service, y'all. It sure is. And so they were gracious enough to let us borrow it. We didn't have to pay $1. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. And um, because caskets are expensive. Y'all, death is a good business. It is. Yeah. So we go and we're like, I mean, like, what? Okay, so let's look around, and nobody's really talking. And thankfully, the guy is standing there, ready to answer any questions we have, but he's not giving us the tour of caskets. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, he was so gracious and just quiet in the room, like, let me know if you have any questions. So we're staring at this wall that Mm -hmm. shows, like, here's a little piece of these caskets, so you can see the colors and the shapes and stuff, and we get to pick one. Right, and then there was caskets actually on display. Yes, there was, yes. And so we're walking by (laughs) all these caskets, and we all, like, stop, because we're all Mm -hmm. like, these do not represent dead at all. No. Like, you know, Harley riding again, leather wearing, yes. hippie from the 70s. Like, no, he yeah. would hate this. <laughs> yes. And then we all stop on this one. And it is black. It's mm. shiny in some places, matte in others. Mm. It's got silver handles. <sighs> it looks like a Harley casket. Yes. And I go, oh, y'all, look, this one looks just like a bullet. And a, I, I clearly wasn't thinking. And we all, I was like, oh my gosh, uh, what's my mom going to do? Is she going to backhand me? Is she going to mush into a pile of tears? What is going to happen? And Jessica's looking at me and at mom and at me and at mom and mom busts out laughing. And I was like, thank God. So we all are just standing there laughing like hyenas yes. over this casket that looks like a bullet. The joke is too soon. I didn't even intend it to be a joke. Right. So that's the casket we chose. That was it's what we chose. Black beauty. <laughs> um, this is going to be the most irreverent uh, tie into that. But on the, on the um, movie Sex in the City, okay. the first one. Um, Sarah Jessica Parker, Carrie is going to marry Mr. Big. Mr. Big leaves her at the altar. Well, she decides to go on a honeymoon with her best friends and they're in, I don't know, Mexico and she is grieving. I mean, she is, cannot get out of bed. Her friends have to like pick her up out of the bed, like feed her soup, you know? And I remember that was such a reflection of what grief was like. Like to me, I was like, yeah, that's what it was. That's exactly what it was. Like people brought food to our mouths. Literally. I remember Diana putting, putting a sandwich in my mouth. I remember Ann Alta going, take a bite, take a bite. Here's a cookie. Like you gotta, you gotta eat something. We haven't eaten in 14 hours, you know, in that movie, she asks one of her friends one day when she's finally able to like even get up and go outside and like sip coffee with her friends. And she looks rough, you know, like grief, it ages you, it, mm-hmm. you know, it takes all the collagen and <laughs> hormones, <laughs> elastin and everything out of your skin and you're drawn mm-hmm. and you're dehydrated and you're exhausted and you can't sleep. And I remember her character sitting outside and, and she said, you know, am I ever going to laugh again? And her friend said, yeah, when something's really, really funny. And then what makes her laugh is when her friend accidentally drinks the Mexico water <laughs> and gets like dysentery <laughs> and has diarrhea outside in front of everybody. And she's the prim and proper one. And she has diarrhea in front of everybody. <laughs> it's happening. It's happening. 
That's what Jenny's talking about. It was that kind of moment with the casket when Jenny's like, oh, this one, it's so pretty. It looks just like a bullet. And I was thinking like cop, you know, yeah. he carries a gun. Yeah. No. Yeah. And mom starts laughing. It was that. It's mm-hmm. like, you are going to laugh again mm-hmm. when something is really really funny yeah or really really irreverent uh-huh. and, and that's okay because yeah. sometimes that's going to be what gets you through for a season of time because you're just so raw yeah everything is so raw and you don't have to fake it mm-hmm. you don't have to put on the fake smile we couldn't it was yeah. just it's too exhausting mm-hmm. and I so know. we made it through that we got through the funeral some of the family was difficult to handle there's mm-hmm. challenges there the community around us was very gracious. We had so many people come in from out of town. We had to bed people, literally find mm-hmm. people, you know, places to put people. Like I said, when we, in 2005, there weren't a ton of hotels in Odessa, Texas, yeah. you know? So it's like, where are you going to put everybody? And, um, I mean, the funeral was telecast on the news, mm-hmm. uh, the whole, the funeral procession. It was huge and packed out the whole church and it was, it was just wild. Yeah. I mean, they did an aerial view of his funeral procession. Yeah. The news. Like, it was insane. Well, and he had a, a bunch of guys that he rode with who rode their, their Harleys. Harleys, yes. And those, I mean, there were tons of them. Tons. And then the cars behind them. And then people stopped. I remember people stopping them. On the overpasses. Yeah. I've never seen that in my whole life. Yeah. Yeah. And getting out of their cars. Yeah. And Jenny and her spouse rode my dad's Harley. I did not dress appropriately for the funeral to ride in on a Harley. (laughs) (laughs) My dad would have been so mad. I had on heels and polyester pants. Yes. He would have been like, Jen, you need boots and leather chaps. (laughs) I know. Uh, And I rode in the, you know, obligatory limo, you mm. know, with, with mom. I'm glad I got to ride with mom. And, um, we wore Harley Davidson shirts. Yeah, <laughs> we did the things that you know would honor honor him um, to us. Yeah, and and it was a huge fun- funeral. And the funeral was on a Wednesday, and then by about Saturday of that weekend, everybody was gone. Mm-hmm. Everybody had you know had to leave and go back home to work and all the things. And then it was just us. Yep. And and the few, you know, the remnant of the ones that are really in our lives forever, who have stayed with us and been our village, our tribe, our people, you know, our church. Yeah. <laughs> and have walked with us every year. Uh, he died on June 16th. And so every year we have dubbed that day Dead Dad Day because mm-hmm. we are dark horses and that's how we roll. <laughs> You can join our girl gang anytime. We'll get yep. you a jacket. Mm-hmm. Um, but we honor the fact that we have lived, that we have survived. Yeah. And that we remember that day. You know, we hate what he was going through, the depression, the alcoholism. Uh, we did not know. We didn't know that he was suicidal. Yeah. He never talked about it. Never. There wasn't an outcry. There wasn't a threat. There wasn't a, a hint, not even a hint. Mm-mm. And... And his buddies we talked to were just shocked. I mean, it was shocking. Oh, yeah. It was so shocking. 
mom and I ended up kind of packing up and going with Jenny back to Houston for a while just to get away from the Permian Basin Mm -hmm. where this was news, man. This made the news cycle every day for I don't even we had to turn the news off. I was like, I cannot see his picture on the news anymore. Mm -hmm. And and we left and went to Houston I mean, for a good while that summer, just to recoup and kind of hide out a little Mm -hmm. bit and breathe and then trying to find our way into our new normal. Yeah. Which it's never normal again. Mm -hmm. Gosh, you know that 18 years later, we're still trying to find that new normal. Yeah. (laughs) It changes. Yeah. You find rhythms, new rhythms, um, but it's never going to feel normal for them not to be around. Yeah. It's never going to feel normal that the photographs end on this day. Yeah. They're frozen. They're frozen. I turned 44 this year and Jenny gave me a card and she said, you know, dad is forever frozen at the age you're turning. You know, she was like, keep living. Yeah. And that's, that's what we hope for you. If you are a suicide loss survivor is that you find your way forward, that you find your tribe, you find the people that, you know, will lay down on a folding chair in 106 degree weather and scream your name up to God because they're grieving for you and with you and they don't know what else to do. Yeah. We pray that you you acknowledge those people around you, but you also acknowledge your own pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. And we hope that you do the things that help you stay well mm-hmm. and get well and flourish beyond the initial shock of the loss because it is a shock. Man. How long do you feel like it took for you to really kind of settle into the knowledge this had happened? Like he was gone. I feel like um, it took a while. I feel like every single day it was still like, I can't believe he did that. I know. Like I cannot believe he killed himself. Yeah. And for the longest time I couldn't even say that. Yeah, me too. Um, But it it was, I mean, gosh, months. And the first... (laughs) This y'all, things like this suck because <laughs> I remember y'all had come back to Odessa mm-hmm. and um, it was like in the thick of the business end of it where y'all were kind of like pulling things for like life insurance and health insurance and all oh, the business end yes. of it. Because Brad is that guy. Yeah. Like he steps in and takes over. Thank go- yes. goodness. And I think it was, it was a weekday because I was working and I think I had just gotten home and my phone rings, and I look down, and it says, Dad. Oh. And my heart just broke. All over again. And it was freaking Mom, because her cell phone had died. <laughs> so she used Dad's cell phone to call me. <laughs> and she's bebopping, hey, babe, it's Mom. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> I, I, I never knew this. Oh, gosh. And I was bawling. I was like, what are you? doing she was like well i was calling to ask about and i was like you're calling from dad's phone and she goes well because mine's dead and i was like it says dad and she's like ah and so she starts bawling too and i'm like don't ever do that again <laughs> oh my gosh i never but knew I'm this glad you're alive that's right but i might kill you i know that was yeah and just the moments when you can't pick up the phone and call him and tell him things and it's Still, I know. Dad was a really good counselor. Gosh, <laughs> he was. Um, 
I've always been nocturnal by nature, and he was too. And so he was always my 2 a.m. phone call. Not because I was getting home from the bars. I mean, sometimes, yeah, that was true. <laughs> but even uh, when I had stopped doing all that, uh, I would just be up at night. That's when I would write and be creative. And he would be on duty or, you know, working, getting off work. And we would call. And if, if he was on duty, working, you know, he would be like, hey, Juice, let me call you back. I'm, you know, I'm... I'll have a break here in a minute. Mm. I'll call you back. I'm arresting somebody. <laughs> yeah, I'm arresting. I'm going to do some paperwork. Call you back. And then we would just talk, uh-huh. you know, and he he was always wise with counsel. He was a very good listener. Mm-hmm. He was non-judgmental. Yeah. You know, I remember being able just to talk about a lot mm-hmm. with him and it being... He could just hear anything. Yeah, he could. He could. He could handle it. Mm-hmm. And he smelled so good. Oh, I know. And his laugh. Gosh. And when he would sneeze, when we <laughs> when we were in our church in Kansas, it was uh, in Kansas. Pretty much every establishment has a basement, and so the basement was like where the kids' uh, church was. And so we would be down in the basement, and mom and dad would be up in the big church, mm-hmm. and we would hear dad sneeze from down in the basement. Yes. Because it was like, ah, Yes. And the whole, they'd be like, bless you, Jerry. Brother Jerry. <laughs> Brother Jerry. Everybody knew he'd sneeze. And yeah. his laugh, oh my gosh. He gave the best hugs ever, hands yes, down. Did. Yes, he best did. Best hugger in the world. He never wasted a hug. Never wasted a hug. No. No. Yeah. Yep. We miss him. Yep. That, that never goes away. That never, ever goes away. Nope. And and you grieve not just you grieve what you're going to miss. Oh, you, yeah. You grieve the memories you're not going to make. Yeah. We grieved when Karis was born, mm-hmm. the first grandchild. The fact that he's, you know, never going to hold her and have that picture with her. And, you know, same thing with Emery and and Malin and Micah. And we, we talk all the time about him and how we think he would love this piece of one of these girls' mm-hmm. personality, or he would love this about Malin, or he would mm-hmm. love this about, you know, Emery, or he would get a kick out of Bubba. I mean, oh come gosh, on, yeah. Bubba, Lord. <laughs> he would find her hysterical. Oh my gosh, yeah. You know, that's what we grieve now. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I get really angry with the enemy mm-hmm. for coming after him so hard and lying to him and telling him that we were better off without him because yeah. we haven't been no. and in lying to him and telling him he couldn't get better mm-hmm. and there was nothing else for him and there was no way out there was no way through I'm looking forward to when the enemy gets his oh <laughs> so looking forward to that let me tell you and I'm so thankful that dad loved the Lord mm-hmm. and gave his life to Jesus and he studied God's word he was faithful to the church just faithful to Jesus. Yeah. He loved Jesus. And to somebody listening who feels like that's incongruent, like how can you love Jesus and be an alcoholic? Or how can you love Jesus and be overcome with depression or suicidal, you know, tendencies? You can. Oh, yeah. You just can. Jesus doesn't want us just to take him and forget how to live this life on this earth. Yeah. You know, it's like the the man in the New Testament who reached out to Jesus and he was 
he was lame and and Jesus and he said, you know, heal me. And Jesus said, do you want to be healed? Because that means you're going to have to get up and you have to get a job. You're going to have to work now. You can't beg in the streets. The Basically, it was a profession. It was a profession. Yeah, the begging was a profession. You're, you're going to have to come up with a whole new way of life. Can you handle that on this earth? Like Jesus knew, like, I can give you salvation and I can heal you. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean you're going to thrive in what's to follow because hard things still follow. Oh, yeah. And I always think about dad in that, that he had the Lord. He needed some, he needed help though. He needed rehabilitation. He needed healthy, safe coping mechanisms. He needed healthy, safe people and professionals around him who validated, you know, his childhood trauma Mm -hmm. and who helped him with the trauma of the work he did, he did, you know, as a a peace officer and the things that he dealt with and saw and the cases he worked, he needed a place to safely wrestle through some of that. And any of you in law enforcement, you really, you really need, you really need to be talking to somebody about that. Yeah, You get that locked in your head and that darkness will eat you up from the inside out. Mm -hmm. Make no mistake about it. You go talk to somebody and, and process that. That's pride that keeps you from it. Yeah, you know, and the enemy wants you to do that because he'll tell you, "Well, it's it's weakness. Oh, it, yeah, it's weak." Well, really, that's pride. Yeah, it's really pride, and it goes hand in hand. And it should be mandatory for. It should be for anybody serving to um, have counseling sessions. I believe. Uh, yes, and multiple. Yeah. This is my like experience. Monthly, bi-monthly. I don't know. But yes. Yes. They've got to be able to have a safe outlet where they're not shamed. Yes. Where they can talk about the things they see and the scum of the earth they deal with on a daily basis. Right. I was listening to a podcast by Laura Tremaine, and she was talking about the 10 things that she's learned in 10 years of therapy, of mental health therapy. And she's like, what brings you to therapy? The reason you come may not be the reason you keep going Mm. because you get into... Uh, counseling sessions and all of a sudden these layers come off and then what you think you're there for really isn't even the thing it's these things underneath the layers don't you think that's probably a lot of the reasons people don't want to go to counseling is because they don't want to peel the layers back they're like i'm comfortable in my onion skin yes which i don't even like that analogy but (laughs) yes and for her it was the counselor basically teaching her how to deconstruct the stories she had told herself Oh, I just listened to a book about that. Did I'm gonna you? I'll have to we'll have to reference it. It was strange and I would have never listened to it. And I did, and I'm so glad I did. Okay. I thought it was such a good we'll have to link her show in this one. Yeah. That, that episode was so helpful. I loved it. But that and that was true of me because I, I had to go to therapy. Uh, my my marriage fell apart after dad's suicide. We were newlyweds, seven weeks married. I mean, we it was nine months in when Brad woke me up at like one in the afternoon because I was so depressed. Uh, days and nights were flipped. Um I was not self-medicating. I will say that I was not drinking. I was not taking pills, nothing like that. But let me tell you how easy it could have been to slip into that when you're not doing life during the day with other people at night. Those things are so easy. And Oh, I did. I drank like a freaking fish. Did you really? (laughs) I did not know that. Oh, yeah. No. I think all the barley and hops was gone. (laughs) 
I don't even know if that's yeah. how you make drinks, but I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't. And I, but I was, if I had, I would have died. Yeah. Like I was so, I was so depressed. Like the mm-hmm. depression enough was debilitating. And Brad woke me up. We were married nine months and he said, I want a divorce. Hmm. That'll sober you up. Yeah, real quick. Let me tell you. Yeah, that sobered me up real fast. And I was on the phone seeking a counselor right then and asking him, do you really, are you really done or would you get some help? And he's like, I love you. I never want to be done with you, but I can't live. I can't move on like this Mm -hmm. and I don't know what to do. And so his toolkit was empty. You know what I mean? Like sometimes people can say things because it's at the end of what they know to do. Mm -hmm. And so he was like, well, we can't resolve this. Let's get a divorce. It had not even crossed his mind. We should go to counseling. Right. And so then when counseling came up, he's like, yes, we'll do that. We'll fight for this. But it took months of counseling even for us just to get it out all on, on the table. And that was the thing I, I want to say to people, if you are going to counseling, it's going to take a long time. Mm-hmm. It's going to take a really long time um, in your grief journey too. And as you process forward, and if you're looking for a quick fix, it's not going to happen. Yeah. You know, you, you don't go, especially when you're in crisis. And Laura Tremaine talked about this on her podcast that let's go to, let's normalize going to counseling before we're in crisis because it takes a while to feel comfortable in a counseling session. Oh, yeah. And that's so true. I mean, because I remember the first times that Brad and I went to couples counseling together. And we would both just cry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like just cry. Were you a major weeper like your sister? I was a major weeper. <laughs> and we couldn't even talk about the issues. We would just cry. And the poor counselor was so sweet. And he was like, well, you both clearly love each other, but you're crying. And I these are expensive talk. tears because <laughs> yes. time is ticking people. Yes. <laughs> and so it, it, we finally were able to start talking. And when we did, then he was like, okay, Brad, I need to meet with you separately. And then Jessica, I need to meet with you separately. And then he was one that was like, you need to be doing some grief group counseling, right. you know? And, and I ended up going because a woman from church kidnapped me and forced me to go, thankfully. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was the counselor who had even said, this would, this would benefit you. Yeah. And, uh, and then, you know, he counseled us separately and, and then together uh, several times mm-hmm. throughout the years until um, he quit his practice, which is unrelated to our counseling sessions. <laughs> I assure. Wink, wink. <laughs> I've had two really great counselors that are no longer counseling, you y'all. You broke your counselor? <laughs> I know. Oh. Mm. Counselors need counseling, too. They do. Uh, absolutely. Oh, my gosh, yes. Maybe police officers and counselors can talk to each other. <laughs> Maybe so. They can both stand to hear the crap, you yes. know? Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. So... Oh. That is our story. Mm-hmm. That's what we lived through. That's our suicide loss survivor tales. And we wanted to share that with y'all because anybody who is maybe in those first few weeks or days or months or years, and the shock is still very real, very oh, yeah. thick. We just want you to know one day you will laugh again. Yeah. One day you will be able to look back and tell the story. But 18 years later, we still, we still weep. Oh, yeah. We still weep. Not as those without hope. Mm-mm. We have so much hope. 
Jesus has given us everything. But that loss, that is, that's, that's forever on this no. earth until we are face to face with Jesus and reunited with our dad in heaven. And I'm going to kick his A word. A- absolutely. <laughs> She's only saying A word because she knows if she says it, I'll leave it in. I know. <laughs> and I, well, you know, sometimes I say the cuss words. <laughs> I know. And apparently we have a lot of little ears listening. Yes, so we're going to try to be clean more careful. I know, because if Micah hears this, I'm in trouble if I say a cuss word. Trouble. So, trouble. Clean it up. Clean it mouth. up. I know. No. <laughs> so one thing I did want to share. Yes. One of my beautiful, smart, witty, amazing friends sent me a... Dr. Barbie. <laughs> Dr. Barbie Stafford. She's so beautiful. Her not Barbie, but she should be because oh, she is gorgeous she and is smart. She is gorgeous. And funny. Um, she sent me this thing from the... Um, Texas Medical Association mm, after good. last week's episode. Mm-hmm. And she it says that uh, one year after the launch of the suicide hotline, 82% of Americans report that they're sti- they still aren't familiar, familiar with the fact that there is a suicide hotline. Yes. So that 988 that we talked about, like if you have to call 911 for, you know, for uh, medical help or for police presence, that's, right. that's the emergency number for them. That's right. 988 is a number you would call if you or someone you know needs help or has expressed suicidal thoughts right. or there are those high risk factors, low risk factors, just in general. And so I, th- I found that just mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. 82% of people don't know that there's that hotline. Yes. And so I feel like we just need to normalize sharing that. Yes. And since this is uh, you know, Suicide mm-hmm. Awareness Month, mm-hmm. we need to be sharing that all over socials. Yes. We need to be sharing that everywhere. Yes. So 988. We, and we are putting up a bunch of social media posts about 988. Please Still them and share them. Yes. Please. We want you to. We want you to. If you have to just snap it with your phone camera and just post it. However, Mm -hmm. you know, like just post that. Like that's what we want. We want people to know and be resourced. Yes. One of the the pieces of information in that same article said that 5.5 million calls, texts, and chats to the hotline have been made. Five and a half million. million. And we said that uh, in the year two, uh, 2022, suicides were like at what, 40, what was the number? 42,000? 44,000? 40, 40, 43,000. Yeah, yeah. Somewhere okay. in there. Yes. So look at the, I mean, that's incredible. Yes. So it, talking, talking helps. Hel- it brings prevention. It does. It leads, it can lead to prevention, I obviously. Mean, y'all talking about subjects like this are not easy. They're no. not comfortable. They're not super, you know, like, hey, you want to talk about suicide? No, the answer is always <laughs> That's no. Right. But we have to talk about it. That's right. We have to. We have to talk about it. Yeah. I love it, Jenny. Thank you for that. Thank you, Dr. Stafford Barbie yes. for that. <laughs> and thanks for listening to our story and for grieving with us celebrating with us yes remembering with us yes it truly matters to our hearts for sure it really does i wanted to leave you with a few verses that we have kind of clung to in these years um when you're looking for healing just get in the word of god Mm -hmm. 
just get in the Word, read the Psalms, um, read the Proverbs. There's so much wisdom and help when when nothing else sounds good, when nothing else hits. Um, get in those books. Get in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels. Get in the red words of Jesus. You are going to find so much love and grace and healing and compassion right there with, with your Jesus. Stay out of Leviticus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Leviticus is rough, rough. We'll stay out of Leviticus. Yeah. <laughs> but here, here's a verse that just, it, this is our promise. Psalm 107.20 says, God sent forth His word and healed them, and He rescued them from the grave. Mm. Sometimes, as we talk about um, how hard it is in this conversation to even bring up suicide. But if you are worried about somebody and you're concerned about their well-being and their heart and their mental health, please tell them. Mm-hmm. Please tell them. That was one of the things that people said to us following dad's suicide is how many people said, you know, Jerry was on my I wish I would have said something to him. Mm-hmm. I, like I knew he wasn't doing great. I wish I would have. Or I wish he would have talked to me. I wish I would have said this. I wish. Don't leave the wishes on the table. Yeah. Say it. And also for those who do wish that they would have. No. Thank you for your heart. Yes. Yes. And no shame there. That was his decision. Yeah. And that's exactly what I'm about to tell you is you can still say all of it. And they're still going to make their decisions. Yeah. Okay. It's their choice. But you live with you. Yeah. And so that's what I'm saying to you is if you don't want to live with the wishes left on the table, then just say it. No regrets. No regrets. And if you're a believer, then you tell them. You don't even have to quote exact scripture, but you can take the promises of scripture and you can let them know, like, God loves you. Mm-hmm. You were created on purpose for a purpose. You do have a hope and you do have a future. And I'm going to believe it for you. And walk alongside you. And walk okay. alongside you because God sends out his word and heals us. And he rescues us from the grave through his word. Mm-hmm. So you speak those life-giving words from God's Word over another human heart. Oh, watch God water that. Mm -hmm. Watch God water that. Watch what grows. And also, here's some verses about hope. Psalm 62.5 says, Rest in God alone, my soul, for my hope comes from you. Our hope cannot be wrapped up in someone getting well. Right whether that's mentally, physically, whatever, our hope comes in God alone. Psalm thirty-three twenty-two says, May your faithful love rest on us, Lord, for we put our hope in you. Fix your eyes on Jesus, put your hope in him. And Psalm thirty-eight fifteen says, For I put my hope in you, Lord. You will answer me, my Lord, my God. He will. He'll answer you. Mm-hmm. He may not give you the answer you want. Oh yeah. But he will answer. He is the answer. He will come alongside you and he will hold you when you feel like you are slipping. Mm-hmm. And then to always always want to remind you this if you are grieving, Revelation 21:4, the end of the book of Revelation holds this promise for us believers. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Listen, listener. He will wipe every tear from your eyes. That's going to be a big job for me. <laughs> Same. Every tear. No, come on. I'm, he I'm will ready wipe for that. <laughs> every tear from your eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, 
for the old order of things has passed away. That's coming. That's our promise Mm -hmm. in the Lord. He's going to do that. That's not a permission slip to fast forward and get there on your own. That's right. Okay. You stay here. Keep your feet planted on this earth because somebody needs your story. Yeah. Do the hard work. Do the work. It's so worth it. And God will bless you. Mm-hmm. We've been so blessed through this ministry we never wanted. Mm-hmm. Right? Gosh, it's a club that you get thrown <sighs> into, sucked into, and you never even applied for it. No. Didn't want to be a member. Mm-mm. But I'm going to tell you, I'm so grateful for what God's done in our lives. Yeah. You same. know, through it. And so if you're walking this path, you will make it. You can. You can. And if you are having suicidal thoughts, remember you are loved. Remember, call 988. Mm -hmm. There are people that want to talk to you. There are people that want to hear from you. And and your story matters. Yep. But we need you to keep living your story, okay? It's not over. It's not over. You're in the middle of a chapter, and it's a hard chapter. You can make it through. You Mm -hmm. can. You can do it. Keep going. We love y'all. We love you.